Good morning, everyone. I was a little distracted this morning as we were doing sound check because I was so focused on whether or not this rug is centered. And just now, when the spotlight was on, I was like, oh man, there's more light on this side than there is on that side. Does that mean I'm centered? And it just it reminded me of how when I was in college, my friends would peg me as a perfectionist. And I'm not. I swear I'm not. I don't know where they got this idea from, whether it was like the, um, the color-coordinated folders I had for each subject I was doing. No, not that. Not the uh, colorful tabs I had for each theme within each subject. No, not that. Not the highlighter pens that I had that coordinated with the different themes and the colors of the tabs. I am definitely not a perfectionist. <laughs> so last week, Jonathan spoke about um, our, our identity and how it's created by what we have what we do, and what we think others perceive of us. So he also talked about the Enneagram test. And so hopefully, hopefully some of you have had a chance to take the test. Show of hands if you've been able to. Good, good to see that there's quite a few of you. Now, if you haven't, don't, don't worry, because as I speak, you might find that something might resonate with you and pique your interest so you can take the test later on. Today, I'm going to be talking about the intelligence centers and speak into how we perceive the world through our intelligence centers. Now, the nine Enneagram types um, fall into three different intelligence centers, which is the heart, the mind, and the body. And depending on which Enneagram type you are, you might experience the world and your relationships through your emotions, through your thoughts, or through your instinctive reactions. It's how you live in the world. So, um, what does that look like? You might be someone whose body or gut intelligence triad, and so you are reactive, you are quick to make decisions, and you're quick to react in the moment, relying on your instincts. So you want this person around if you're trying to decide where to go to for brunch, because this person, especially a type eight, is gonna instinctively know where to go, and then they'll lead the way there. You don't want someone like me who'll go, eh, I don't know, what do you feel like? So, but if you are someone who operates out of the head intelligence triad, you might put a lot of thought into something before making a decision. So our head types will probably jump on Yelp before making a decision about brunch. They'll have gone through all the reviews and found the best places. They'll, they'll have researched which is close by, which have different dietary options on their menu, and then they'll present a few different options. Now, for a heart type, like me, um, we experience the world through our emotions. We like to engage with the emotions and the needs of the people around us. So if you tell us that you want to have pizza for brunch, then we'll go, sure, I'll come along, I'll do that, even if I'm gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant, because for me, you know, what your needs are what matters more. And this is a true story. I've definitely taken someone to Grimaldi's knowing full well that all I could have was a salad there, which not really because you have to pick out all the mozzarella. <laughs> so sad, so sad. So the reason we're talking about all of this is because we can also engage with, with and relate to God through our intelligence center, through our heart, mind, and our body. And we are called to do so. The greatest commandment that Maya read earlier, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. What does it mean? And how do the intelligence centers help us to live out the greatest commandment? When Jesus spoke of the great commandment, commandment. He was quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 6.5. He wasn't just making stuff up. 
He was pointing out that this was the law of God, and that's why he was pointing back to the Torah. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we read of instances where Jesus shows us how to live the law as God intended and challenges his followers and fellow Jews to do the same. So in Matthew, we read of instances where Jesus challenges how faith is practiced. Jesus talks about the art of giving and fasting and praying, saying these are activities that should be done in private. Matthew 6.3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Matthew 6.5, when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Matthew 6.17, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. What Jesus is doing here is challenging us to look at the religious practices and think about why and what it is about what we do that we think will bring us closer to God or closer to bringing kingdom, God's kingdom here on earth. He challenges us to seek what the reason is behind why we serve or why we give. Do we serve and we give because it makes us feel better or we want to look good in front of other people? Do we pray because we think that's what's going to give us what we want? So over the past week, I saw this meme floating around Facebook, and it was, um, with, it was talking about the shootings in Florida. And it, it alluded to the idea that the reason why there was so much violence in schools is because we don't force our children to pray. Did anyone see this meme? So with this, it just really disgusts me that people think that because we don't force our children to practice the ritual of prayer in the morning at school, then therefore God is not pleased with them. God is not present in their lives, and that's an invitation to let violence in. That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus calls us out of substantiating God's love by observance of law and ritual and instead invites us into a relationship with God. It involves laying down the ego-driven reasons why we follow law and instead take up loving, honoring, and worshiping God with our entire being. Because loving God isn't just in what we do or what we believe. It involves our entire being. So what does it look like to love God with your entirety? It's when we align ourselves with the desires of God. It's when we become the reflection of God's grace and God's love. It's when we strive to becoming who we were created to be, as it was written in Genesis 1.27, the Imago Dei. We were made in God's likeness, and when we reflect that, we live out God's we live out our true selves. We live out the best versions of ourselves, the healthiest versions of ourselves. And the opposite of that is when we operate out of a false self, an ego-driven self that's trapped in the behaviors of our heart, mind, and body. So depending on what our Enneagram type is and what intelligence center we operate from, our false self can manifest in different ways. Having an awareness of that can help us move away from our false self and start moving towards a true self and thus closer to God. So let's break down the intelligence centers. And as I speak, listen out for your intelligence type. And if you don't know it, listen out for what resonates with you and take note of it. So head types, 
types five, six, and seven. Do we have any head types? Okay, so their energy is focused on the internal because they spend a lot of time in their thoughts, in strategic planning, in processes. They love problem solving and taking security in understanding and in knowing. They are able to imagine so many different possibilities or solutions to a problem. They like to have a plan A, B, and C. Now, when I initially read this type, I wished so much that I could be a head intelligence type because they think, and they are so good at it. And I want to say I wish, I think my father wished that I was a head intelligence type, but I'm, I'm not. I'm a, my type falls under the heart triad. I'm a type two. Uh, types two, three, and four, any types two, three, and four? So you guys all have really strong relational energy. And your focus, as opposed to the head intelligence type whose energy is focused on the internal, your energy is focused on the external. It's on the people around you and what they, what they perceive of you. And so your focus, a lot of your focus, is on how they see you and on your self-image. They seek attention and affirmation from others, and that's how they create their identity. So there are people that might think, oh, if so-and-so says that I'm a good dancer, then I must be a good dancer. If so-and-so says I'm good at photography, then I must be good at photography. If I get so many likes on Instagram, then I must be a well-liked person. In the middle, we have the gut or body intelligence triad. The Enneagram types that fall into this are numbers eight, nine, and one. Any eight, nines, and one? So a few of you. So these types sit comfortably and are energized by both the inner and the outer world. They are instinctive and they're decisive. So there's no overthinking for body intelligence types. They are quick to take action, which is why they're labeled the instinctive intelligence center. They might say, we need to do this, we need to fix this problem, and then they'll go out and they'll do it. Now within each of these triads, False self can manifest in different ways. So I mentioned I'm a type two, a helper, which all sounds nice and dandy because I'm a Christian and I go to church, which, so it makes sense that I'd be drawn to this type because of my Enneagram intelligence type, this vocation. But finding out that I was a two and reading about what that meant was like looking at one of those vanity mirrors that you see in hotels. You know the ones where on one side you look normal, then you flip it, and suddenly everything's magnified, right? And you see every single detail of your face, every pore, every blemish, every wrinkle. Like you knew those details were there, but you've never seen them all at once. You think, my pore's really that big? <laughs> well, that's what the Enneagram the Enneagram does, it magnifies every detail of who you are. And so when I read my type, I became very aware of what drives my personality. And what, what was, that was something that I was in denial about, but the Enneagram bring these, brings these details to light. So when I found out that I was a two, I thought, yay, I'm a helper, not a perfectionist. But, ooh, ew, no. Now I know why. Now I know that the reason behind why I like to help people is because that is where I quantify my worth. It's when I'm needed by them. And whether or not they need my help, I place all my worth on that. So the dominant emotion that develops as a result is shame. Shame becomes the driving force for heart intelligence types. 
The false self can manifest in heart types when they try to control that shame by getting others to like them or see the goodness inside them. They expend their energy on seeking the approval of others as a way to repress their feelings of inadequacy. So if their need for approval or affirmation isn't met, they'll keep going around and trying to seek approval and then they get stuck in this vicious cycle and therefore they get trapped in their heart. It's interesting to see how this might manifest in type fours. Any type fours in the room? So type fours are the individualists. They're unique and creative and they desire to be understood as so. They use this to connect with others and that's where they see their worth. Feelings of inadequacy and shame arise when they think that others perceive them as being ordinary. And their false self manifests when they try to deny that shame by pushing forward their individuality and their creativity. They can't see that they're loved for who they are. They get caught up in comparing themselves to others. And they get trapped in the statement, I am not enough because they think they're not exceptional enough. Now, when a head intelligence type looks in the mirror, they might find that they have a tendency to overthink, a tendency to withdraw from others and retreat into their mental strategies and planning. If they are unsure, they hesitate to take action and they become paralyzed by being focused on their thoughts, their strategies, and their planning. When the false self takes over, the dominant emotion that manifests is fear, any head intelligence types. And of you head intelligence types, any type sixes? Okay, I'm gonna be talking to you right now. Type sixes, the loyalists. Were there any on this side of the room? Okay, a couple, so I'll make sure I'll cover all of you. So you guys can get trapped by fear in thinking about worst case scenarios and then get overcome by the anxiety of it all. They pour their energy into formulating the what-ifs of every situation, of analyzing every single scenario. And then in the end, they might find they're unable to make a decision, that they're unable to trust themselves to make the right choice. And because they haven't found the security in their own understanding, they become fearful and therefore trapped in their mind. When a gut or body intelligence type looks in the mirror, they might find that because they act instinctively and they react in the moment, that they often do so ignoring their own feelings or the feelings of others for the sake of doing what's right. They become focused on their opinion and judgments, so much so, much so that they lose sense of the reality of a situation or a relationship. When body types get stuck in their false self, the emotional response to that is anger. They can dominate a situation by asserting their power and control over people by using their anger. Now, while anger is generally seen in a negative light, it's important to note that if you suppress or deny that anger, that, that, um, that can have its consequences too. So for type ones, any type ones in the room? I love type ones. They help me put my life together. The perfectionists, they repress their anger by controlling the environment around them. Their inner critic fixates on the judgment of others, themselves, and their circumstances. And they become trapped in that. They get trapped in a world that they think needs constant improvement. And they get trapped in their, in their mind when, by controlling their anger in constantly improving the world. 
In each of these intelligence triads, the dominant emotion that drives behavior hurts self and hurts others. So when shame, fear, or anger dominates or is repressed or controlled instead of confronted, then what happens is we start operating closer to an ego-driven false self. But God created us with these types in mind, being dominant in one intelligence center. That is our gifting. So we can, and we are created for wholeness within that type. And that means moving towards and operating towards a true self, a self that we were created to be. Jesus, the human manifestation of God, demonstrated just that in believing, trusting, and, and following the divine image that was inside him and calls us to do the same. Jesus calls us to die to our false self and to take up the cross. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So as we lose and we shake off our false self, we can open ourselves to receiving life, life which is God in God's entirety. Richard Rohr says, each of these intelligence centers offers us a different way of experiencing the loving presence and voice of God. So how can we begin the transformation into our true selves? Transformation for the head intelligence type is understanding that loving God with all your mind means dying to the need for, for understanding and knowing. That means you let go of the desire to understand life before you live it. It means you give yourself permission to take action without the security of knowing what's going to happen next. Because when you take the risk and you allow yourselves to engage in the moment or engage in the present relationship, then you might find that you have the capacity to give and receive the love of God fully. To love with all your mind is to allow yourself to deeply experience the present moment, even if it means moments of grief and sadness. Do we have any type sevens, enthusiasts in this room? So this is for you. Resist the temptation to escape these perceived moments of emptiness and emotional pain by filling them with fun experiences or busying your mind. Have the courage to sit in those moments and confront those emotions. To love with all your mind is to rest in the knowledge that God is all-knowing. Take up the cross that says that you are complete without the need to know or understand or need to fill your mind with distractions. Transformation for the body intelligent types looks like understanding that loving God with all your body and all your soul means giving in to God's will. That means you die to the need for control and perfection all the time. You approach life with less judgment. You receive life without needing to react to it or fix it. You become open to and receptive to what unfolds and you trust it without needing to react to it. So from peacemakers, any peacemakers in the room, type nine? No one, oh, few people, great. So for peacemakers, that means letting go of trying to fix it all. 
for the sake of perfect peace, understand that serenity can come, can come from relinquishing control, just as Jesus relinquished control on the cross. Give yourself permission to show up for yourself, even if, it, if that means that as a peacemaker, you might face conflict. You've always resisted your desires and your needs for the sake of perfect peace because you think that might be the right thing to do and the right way to respond to a situation. But later on, you might find that that'll lead to more conflict. So honor who you are and show up for yourself too. Body types can take up the cross that says that perfection, control, and judgment are ultimately in the hands of God. God, when you can love God, with all your soul and all your body, then you can surrender to your instinctual desires and instead bathe yourself, your body, your soul in the will of God. In loving God with all your body and all your soul, you don't need to do anything to receive the love of God. Transformation for the heart intelligent type looks like understanding that loving God with all your heart means accepting the love of God with all your heart. That means dying to the compulsion to impress others. You let go of others' opinion of you. You let go of trying to fix the world's problem because that does not quantify your worth, except that you don't need to perform to feel loved. And I'm preaching to myself right now when I say this. Because as a type two, and you might remember that I've talked about um, how my, I struggle with my self-worth and my self-image largely because of my Asian upbringing. I was brought up to be obedient, to be a rule follower, to put my family first. And I was raised to always help my family. I was even encouraged to join my family business to help it grow. And um, any desire to to want to pursue my passions or to do something different was seen as a waste of time or just plain selfish. So it's possible that my upbringing might have influenced my shaping of a type two personality. Now layer on top of that, uh, the self-denial and sacrifice that are a huge part of, of church culture. Church culture perpetuates this idea that one must lay down their own needs and take up and prioritize the needs of others. Am I right? So what I'd do is I'd go on mission trip after mission trip. When I was in college, every spare hour I had, I volunteered to ministry because I thought that's what I had to do. I thought that's what my purpose was. Then I became a mother and I spent the first six months of each child's life literally attached to them because I was their only source of nutrition. And I, I can see some of you ladies nodding. Yep. And so they're uh, rocking them, feeding them, changing their diapers, getting them to sleep, all took precedence over my need for sleep or my need for clean hair for, for all that. <laughs> Oh my God. And we laugh about it now because we don't expect anything less of mothers. We laugh off the fact that they might not have showered in days. And so for me, for me at least, I felt as though that if I put my desires over my family's, then I wasn't living up to what it meant to be a good mother. I felt like I was failing my family. So what I'd do is I'd bury that shame by by making really elaborate, nice meals and keeping a pristine home, 
making fun activities for the kids, basically Pinteresting my life, like I was all about Pinterest. <laughs> and I think that with twos, and as a mother, and as a church member, that we come to expect our self-sacrificial ways as normal. And the people around us, they encourage that behavior with little regard to finding out or understanding our real desires and who we are underneath our helpful nature. We did the Enneagram test with our deacons and found that most of them are twos. And I'm willing to bet that most of our volunteers are twos too, being helpful in nature. So here's what I want to say to the twos to the room and for the other heart types as well. Instead of looking externally for affirmation, look internally. Reconnect with yourself, with your needs, and with your emotions. Get to know and appreciate your gifts and your goodness. Accept that all of you is outstanding and is enough. Heart types can take, can take up the cross that says, you are fully loved by God. You do not need to earn God's approval. You don't need to perform for God. You don't need to do anything to please God. You can be who you are beyond what you do or how often you volunteer, that you are loved and you are enough. This Lenten season, take the time to look internally and to identify where you've been trapped by your false self. Do you struggle with insecurities or with a need for affirmation from others? Do you struggle with a need for control or logic or with the, the need to fix everything or take on the world? Use the Enneagram to help you identify what drives you and then dig in and find out what your story is. So that going forward, when you live out the greatest commandment, when you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that in loving God with all your heart, you're doing so and sitting in love knowing that you don't need to please God. Rest in, the, in knowing that you are loved in your entirety and in loving God with all your mind. Rest in loving God without the need to understand the truth of the entirety of who God is. In loving God with all your body and all your soul. Rest in relinquishing power and control and in surrendering to God's will. It's a battle. It is a battle to abandon the ways of our false self. But in the coming weeks, Ben and our prayer team are going to be talking about prayer practices that will help us in our Enneagram types engage in ways in which we can be set free from our head, our mind, our head, our body, and our heart. And my prayer for you is that in becoming more aware of what drives you and how that impacts the world and impacts the people around you and how that impacts your relationship with God, that you can come to adopt practices that will help you reflect the image of God that's within you already and rest in the entirety of God's love, a love of God that never fails as the worship band sang earlier. Let us pray. Dear God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made with your own image in mind. And I'm thankful for the, for the mess of who we are and that you are there. You are always there. I ask you, God, to draw us closer to who you intended us to be this Lenten season. 
For those of us who are struggling with facing the truth of our false selves, I ask you to give us the courage we need to let go of the things that give us comfort and security so that we can begin to embrace the fullness of your love. Amen.